0: We're in Revelation chapter 8 tonight. We're going to be starting the second half of the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 8, starting with verses 1 through 5. Now, I will deal with it in more detail in a little bit, but I believe what we're about to read with the seven trumpets happens in the second half of the tribulation period, there's a lot of them, like say, like Tim LaHaye, who put the trumpets in the first half. I'm going to show you why I believe the trumpets are in the second half of the tribulation period. And you see in your little chart here that I had from Tony Kessinger, uh, he's got the trumpets in the second half as well. All right, Revelation chapter eight, verses one through five, It says when he, remember this is Jesus, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, we're going to stop here and break this section down because there's something pretty profound that is happening here. Uh, when, When he opened the seventh seal, what happens? Silence. Now, you've got to keep in mind what's going on here. Remember, John is talking about how continually there is this worship of God going on all the time, and there's praise continually, and music, and the, the living creatures, and the cherubims are saying, holy, holy, holy. They never stop saying it. There's continual praise before God. But when He opens the seventh seal, it's almost like a gasp happens. But it's not just a gasp. For a half an hour, it seems to John, but he said in a space of time about a half an hour, no one says anything. And I heard one commentator put it this way. He had talked about how he was actually driving one day, and he saw a bad accident happen right in front of him, where a drunk driver actually ran into somebody, and all three people in the two vehicles were instantly killed. And he said as he got out and hundreds started to gather, it was in a very public space, And the bodies had already been thrown everywhere on the road. And the bodies were obviously dead. He said nobody said anything. He said it was just an eerie silence. Because nobody there wasn't anything to say. Just the devastation of that accident. And then of course the first sound he remembers was the ambulances and the, the sirens coming. But he said it was just an amazing thing to have everybody just standing there. Looking at these dead bodies and nobody saying a word. And he said that's a small picture of what's going on now in heaven because the angels and everyone just stop. What's about to happen now, though, is tied to what's going on with this altar and with the censer and with the prayers. All right, so what happens now is he sees seven angels who stand before God, and then we're given seven trumpets. All right, and another angel who had a golden censer came and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of, of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now, I believe that these prayers of the saints that are being offered here are the prayers of the tribulation saints. And can anybody tell me why that's possible? That it's just the tribulation saints and not... how long. Very good. Remember the prayers? Go with me real quick back to Revelation chapter 6. Plus, at this time in heaven... We're already there. All right? We're not offering prayers to God like that. We're with Him. We're in His presence. The church has already been, been raptured. At this point, I believe this is the prayers of the tribulation saints. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, when He opened, Jesus opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? As we know, they were told to wait a little longer until the rest had been uh, killed. And now we see that the angel comes, takes incense from the altar and prayers of the saints, offers it before God, and then he takes that same censer now that is empty because the the incense and the prayers have been offered, and he takes fire from the altar and hurls it on the earth. And, and I just want you to understand, what we're going to be dealing with tonight is some really scary stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. And it's going to get worse and worse till the very end. Because we're going to see seven trumpets are going to be blown. And then seven vials or bowls of God's wrath are going to be poured out. We're not going to deal with all that tonight. I think time-wise we'll only have time to get through the sixth trumpet uh, tonight. But I just want you to understand that what we're about to see, if you allow it to sink in, is going to make you possibly, if you really looked at it, want to be still and quiet yourself and praying for those who are going to be alive during this time, because what's about to happen is going to be pretty, pretty bad. But this is an answer, what we're about to see now with the blowing of the trumpets, is going to be an answer to the prayers of the tribulation saints who are saying, when are you going to avenge our blood? And he says, it's going to start happening now. See, I believe the judgment of God is during the whole part of the whole tribulation. But I believe the great judgment... The great tribulation is the second half of the tribulation period. And that's what we're about to see usher in. And so let's see what happens now starting in verse 6 of chapter 8. We'll read through verse 13. It says, "...the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. And the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth." A third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that the third of them was turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So we're going to deal with the first four angels' trumpets right now. We'll stop here and take some time to take a look at what's going on here. Alright? So the first trumpet is blown. And what happens when the first trumpet's blown? Fire with mixed with blood. And what else comes down? Hail. Now let's just be honest for a second. That's going to be an interesting mixture of stuff coming down at the same time. You don't picture hail and fire happening at the same time, do you? But not only that, it's hail and fire mixed with blood. And this is one of the proofs that I believe that the trumpets are in the second half of the tribulation. Look closely at what happens. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees and what? how much of the grass? All All of the green grass was burned up. Now keep this in mind because during the first half of the tribulation, the nation of Israel is living in peace and safety. Remember, the Antichrist comes, signs the peace treaty, they think that everything's wonderful. As we looked at last time, it's at the midpoint of the tribulation that He proves to be who He really is. He steps into the temple, declares Himself to be God, puts an end to the sacrifice, sets up in the temple or wing of the temple, the abomination that causes desolation. And Jesus warned him in Matthew 24, when you see that happen, you better run, because it's about to get really, really bad. Because He's going to turn on you, and stuff's going to happen. But during the first half, They're not having any devastation. All the other stuff we see happening is happening on the earth. Remember the 144,000 witnesses have gone out into all the world to preach the gospel? These things that we see in the first uh, seals are happening on the earth. But really in the nation of Israel, they're being spared from this. But here it says that all the grass on the earth at this point is destroyed. I think all means all. And if all means all, it means it's actually happening in Israel as well. And I think that what we're going to be reading about is going to be happening in the nation of Israel at the same time. And therefore, I think these trumpets are in the second half of the tribulation period. All right, And as we continue reading, you'll start to see even more why there's evidence. and you, It'll become clear to you as we keep reading why this is most likely happening in the second half. All right, So uh, we've got a third of the, uh, the, the earth is being burned, but it's hail, fire mixed with blood. Let me show you a couple of passages that talk about this a little bit. One in a way that you might not even really expect. Go to Exodus chapter 9. Put a bookmark here in Revelation chapter 8. Go to Exodus chapter 9. As we look at the trumpets, I'm just going to pull out two of these, but you're going to see a very a very similar kind of a thing between these trumpets and the plagues in, in, in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 18 through 21, listen to what it says. It says, Therefore, at this time tomorrow I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Now, in you see in the plagues, if you have it here in chapter 9, uh, starting actually back in chapter... chapter uh, uh, 7 you'll see there's a plague of blood, there's going to be a plague of frogs, there's a plague of uh, gnats, plague of flies, plague of, on the livestock, plague of boils, the plague of hail is what we're dealing with. Then he goes to the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness. And then the plague on the firstborn and then Mil- and Pharaoh lets them go. But we see here that God has sent hail before. What was the purpose of the hail in, back in the story of the nation of Israel being set free from, from Egypt? What was the purpose for the hail? Well, no. It was for the. What was its purpose? It was to see what was that back. To see who would listen to God. Part of what he's saying is to see who would listen to God. Why is he sending these plagues on on Egypt? What's he trying to accomplish? He's trying to get, get, their get their attention and show what. Who he is, and that he's God, and they need to worship him. They need to reverence him. Now, some listen and hide their animals, some don't. And anyone that was outside at this time died. I'm just showing this to you to show you that God has done this hail thing before. And its purpose was to say, I'm here. I am God. I'm the only God. You need to worship me. You need to pay attention to this. But as you're going to see as we look at these trumpets, people on the earth really don't respond. They don't respond. They don't listen. But this time not only does he send hail, like no other hailstorm that's ever been, he sends fire and blood down with this hail. He's really trying to get their attention, and it affects a third of the earth. Now how that's all going to play out, I don't know, but John says that it was a third of the earth, so a third of the earth has been affected by it. Question before we go on to the next trumpet? It wasn't just hail. Mm-hmm. That's right.: could that not be It could be lightning, but as we're about to see, and, and I, I, what I'm going to do tonight as we take a look at this is, I'm going to try to take it for what it says, and, you know, because we have a tendency to try to read revelation and try to make it fit. There's a danger in that because, as you know with prophetic writing, a lot of times we don't know how it's really going to play out. We can say it could be this or it could be that. But I know that, that for example, I'm, uh, this one guy came into this one church. He put a big picture of Tyrannosaurus Rex up on the screen. He said, look at this animal's teeth. Was it a meat eater or was it a vegetarian? And of course, everybody says, oh, look at those teeth. It was a meat eater. And he said, Wrong. He said, because what you're doing now is you're trying to take what it is now and make it fit the Bible. He said, the Bible says that this guy did live at the same time as man, but he lived prior to the flood, and he was destroyed during the flood, and prior to the flood all the animals only ate grass. We see animals with teeth like this and we assume that because they have teeth like that now on animals that are meat eaters that we try to extrapolate from what we know now back to then and make it work. He said, don't do that. Take what the Word says and then apply that to what you see. Yeah, he had big, ferocious teeth, but if he was destroyed in the flood like most believe he was, he was a vegetarian because it wasn't until after the flood that animals started eating meat. And so... That was actually Ken Ham with uh, Answers in Genesis, is the one who did that. Um, but what I want you to see so, we're going to take a look at, the, at these descriptions of what's going to go on, and we could speculate as to what it may be, but honestly, we're going to have to say all I know is the Bible says that it's going to be hail, there's going to be fire mixed with blood. Now, why we have been given prophecy? Prophecy is not for us to read and try to figure it out. Prophecy has been given to us. Why? So that if we happen to be alive at those, time, at those days, we would know what's going on and that prophecy is being fulfilled. And we've spent a lot of time on this study reminding you of that. So again, it could be lightning. It could, it could just simply be fire, like fire came down with, with Elijah on the Mount Carmel, with fire just came down and licked up all the sacrifice and the water and everything else. It could simply be fire. So we don't know. It says fire. sounds like fire is a good enough answer for me for now. I don't want to be here to see it. Alright. Let's go to the second trumpet. Back in Revelation chapter 8. The second trumpet is blown. And what happens? Third of the sea turns to what? Blood. To blood. And a third of the living sea creatures die. And a third of the ships are destroyed. Now, some commentators believe that this is just talking about the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it could be. It could be just mean the seas. I don't know. Again, we're not really sure on that one, but we know this much. Has God ever turned water to blood before? Again, if you want to go, we're not going to turn back there, but that's in Exodus chapter 7, verses 19 through 24. If you want to go back there and look at it, that's when He turned the Nile into blood, and any water that there was there was turned into blood. And actually the Scripture said that the Egyptians had to dig around the Nile to be able to get water. Because the water was in the Nile was blood, but they dug holes around the Nile to be able to get fresh water. Uh, and so God has done it before. Again, what was His purpose? His purpose was to say, I'm here, I'm God, worship me, pay attention, get your life right. Unfortunately, in that situation, when we saw in the plague of the hail, uh, they, some people listened to God and brought their, their animals in. And in when it comes to the blood, the Scripture literally says, back in Egypt's time, they still wouldn't worship God. Still wouldn't worship God. He trying to He's trying to get their attention as well. There were some that were happy yes. Yeah, unfortunately. And he continued to do many things when they were out of slavery, and they still wanted to go back sometimes. So, But that's another... We're going to be looking at a passage in Joel tonight that matches with some of the things we're about to see. So it probably might be the same passage you're talking about. But yes, it's, it's blood. It's literally blood. And it turns to blood. Which, those of you that have ever dealt with blood, that doesn't smell good. That doesn't smell good at all when it starts to fester. So, Alright, third trumpet. It says, a third of the fresh waters turn bitter. The rivers and the springs turn bitter. Again, a third. Why is it a third? Any idea? We're speculating here, but I think we can be pretty close to why. Why is it only affecting a third? Don't try to get too mathematical or too spiritual. It's a simple answer. Why isn't it affecting all of it? Why only a third? He's warning. It's, it, it, it's, it. I want you to see through all of this bad stuff, I want you to see mercy. There's mercy in this. It could have been worse. He's trying to get their attention. And and the Bible says that God's been continually calling out through His creation, through His Spirit. And you know when you were a parent and uh, your kid needed to listen to you, you probably started off, hopefully you started off soft with, hey, I need your attention. If they didn't listen, you might have raised your voice a little bit more. Pretty soon you might have gone, hey, you know, or something. And eventually, if that wouldn't work, you had to amp up the attention-getting desires or, 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 or purposes or, you know. Uh, device is a good word for it. God's doing this. He's amping it up. But they're still not listening. But there's mercy in it. That's why it's only a third of this. Go ahead. We don't know. We don't know if it's the same third or if it's just... There's more than three-thirds. Oh, no. Yeah, but it's just saying a third of the of the rivers, a third of the seas, a third of the... It, it, there's a third of each different thing. It's not a third of the earth, a third of the earth, a third of the earth. It's a third of the rivers, a third of the seas, a third of... Good question, though. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise the math would not work. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm struggling with a literal blood in, in, the, in the third angel. Star fell from heaven. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to to to, to imagine a star small enough not to affect everything. The, star, the star, star could also the star could also be referring to an angel. Sometimes we'll see a star referring to an angel. You'll see that coming up in a little bit. Uh, that there's a star that goes down and opens the abyss, and so it could be an angel coming down. Well, I think earlier you had mentioned something about maybe a shooting star. I, right. Again, those shooting stars, though, are still pretty good size. You know, if we can see them, they must be pretty good size. So I understand what you're saying, but again, it could be an angel. Go ahead, Herb. When he talks about a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, that would all be solved by the Earth's terminus. Yep, we're actually going to go there, and I actually agree with you. I believe that when we get to that, and the third of the sun, and then it's coming up soon, I actually believe it is that the the rotation of the Earth picks up. And so keep that in your mind. Those of you who are science people, start thinking about what would happen if the Earth's rotation picked up speed. All right, we'll get to that in a second. Actually, actually, we'll get there now. Go to the fourth trumpet. That's right. It's okay. We're in the fourth. We'll go to the fourth trumpet. Third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars now are darkened. Now, I have for years... And it wasn't, Herb, until literally two or three weeks ago that I read this explanation of the earth's rotation spe- speeding up. I was trying to think of... Because God can do it however He wanted. Because when during the plague of darkness in Egypt, He made it dark all over Egypt. But in Goshen, where they were, they had light. Don't ask me how He did it. Because it sounds like it's more than just it was cloudy over Egypt. It was nighttime over Egypt. They couldn't see a thing. And in Goshen, there was light. How He did it, I don't know. We can try and speculate. But God doesn't have to have it done the way we would explain, but in this instance here, it does appear that at this point, when this trumpet's blown, the earth's rotation is picked up a third faster, where days are shortened by a third. Nights are shortened by a third. What would happen on the earth if the earth's rotation picked up its speed? It would definitely destabilize it. It would destabilize it. Yeah, we would definitely get a little uncomfortable. How about just the wind and how it would pick up? You no, know, it goes with the earth. It goes with the earth? Just like it does now. How about GPS being out of whack? How about what? The GPS being, <laughs> the GPS being out of whack? Yeah, I'll be honest with not I'm not a science person, so I don't understand how all that stuff works. Yeah, certainly military. Yeah, affect the the, I, don't, I don't know how the GPS works. It probably still works if the things are faster, doesn't it? Or is it, I don't know. I, I, again, all I know is the scripture says at this point it's going to be a, a third of the day, a third of the night, a third of the stars are going to be darkened. Most plausible explanation for that is the speeding up of the Earth's rotation. I know that there are scientists right now that are, that are struggling with what may or may not happen with the Earth's polarity. I don't know if some of you have read about this. Uh, there actually are the scientists that think that the, the sun has a, is going to have a polar shift, and at the same time, the earth's going to have a polar shift. They don't know fully what all is going to happen. It's a very interesting thing. If you want to even go look it up, you can Google it polar shift on the earth and on the sun and stuff. And interestingly enough, and please don't hear me as one of those people that says doomsday, um, but they think it's going to happen around 2012. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that, that, you know, again? What? Yeah, those Mayans is right. I don't know. I have not heard about asteroids, so I don't know about that one, so don't know. But we've got movies coming out and TV shows that aliens are going to come and, and everything's going to. If you notice how things are starting to go in that direction and all this kind of stuff, I might have shared this with you before. I don't know if I did, but a friend of mine who's got a New Age friend says that the New Agers believe that in a short period of time, uh, aliens from another planet are going to come and take all the Christians off the earth to another planet, recondition them, and then send them back. Literally, that's what the New Agers are saying to them. Each other now. I'm, it's not far off. I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be reconditioned, and I'm coming back. You know, but uh, but it's not exactly how they mean it. But who knows? I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. All right. No, they don't. They don't have a date predicted on that one. They just—that's what they're saying is going to happen. You know, the earth would be so much better if us Christians were not here messing it up. Is what they're saying. So, all right. Revelation chapter nine. Let's go. Actually, right before we get there, remember what happened. Now, this eagle flies and says in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, woe!" to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. By the way, hopefully you started to understand. It's very hard to put these trumpet blasts in the first half of the tribulation period because of all the devastation that is happening. And it's about to get even worse. It doesn't sound like peace and safety for the nation of Israel and Jerusalem. The Antichrist is going to uh, be—he's going to be under attack himself during this time period while he's out to get Israel and all that. Things are going to be happening uh, very, very rapidly on the earth. All right. So let's look at verses nine, uh, chapter nine, verses one through twelve. Says the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, here we see the star being a he, all right? when, when, when uh, he opened the shaft of the abyss, uh, the smoke rose from it like the f- smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces, their hair was like woman's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like that of thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle, they had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months, they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon, the first woe is past, the two other woes are yet to come. Now we've got to slow down for a second here and let this one sink in. All right, don't read too fast here. Go ahead. Um, how can they hurt the grass when they're missing? All right, what happens to grass when you kill it? It can grow back. That's my explanation, but the grass, it burned all the grass, but the grass can grow back. I think the grass has grown back at this point. But I asked that same question myself and did a lot of research on it. And as I talked to a bunch of guys I, rec- I, I, I trusted, they said grass grows back. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay, I'm good. Grass grows back. So, you know, if those of you who have seen my lawn, you know grass can still grow back no matter how bad I treat it. So uh, it does grow back. But that's a good question. But that's what I believe is the answer to that one. But now... This is one of those situations where I think you've got to take it for what it is and not try to make it be something that we can imagine in our minds. You see, because for years, when I used to study Revelation, I used to try to picture, okay, these things with power in their tail and all this kind of stuff. Is it, a, is it a helicopter or, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know what I've come to believe it is? I believe it's demonic locusts. Look where they've come. And is it as big as a horse? Or is it, just... it said it looked like horses. It said it looked like a horse don't know what size they are, but it comes up out of the abyss, I believe this is demonic forces that have been released by God at this point. Uh, this angel that goes down, if you will, or, or a fallen angel probably, uh, it could be Satan himself. His name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, and that's just kind of funny, you know, in our English language, he's Abaddon, but uh, um, but, uh, but uh, it's uh, it means destruction in the Hebrew. And Apollyon in the Greek means destroyer. Whoever this is, whether it's Satan himself or a powerful angel that's a demon, uh, it, he's a bad guy. And he's released these demons for the purpose of God's purposes of torturing man on the earth. Now, who's not affected by it? Now it's interesting, we had two answers here, and this is where many Christians, many theologians disagree. And to be honest with you, I don't have an answer, Um, but we do know this much, the 144,000 for sure are not harmed, because we know they have the seal of God on their foreheads. We assume that those Christians who become saved during this time period would, but there's a chance they might not. Because let's be honest, From what we read, what happens to you if you're alive during this time and you get saved? You you still get it. You're not spared. You're not protected by God through this time period. You get your head cut off. The stuff that happens, happens to you. There are some theologians that believe that the only ones spared these stings are the 144,000 witnesses and that Christians at this time, those who have become tribulation saints as we call them, are affected as well. I don't know. Um, either could be right. There's no need fighting over whether or not Christians or not 144,000 are going to be spared or not. It's not that big of an issue. Don't make it one. But there, there are wise, wiser guys than me that that disagree on this one. We do know this much: the 144,000 are not stung. Because they definitely, the Scripture says, have the seal of God on their foreheads. Whether Christians at that time are spared or not, there are many that I trust and respect who say that the Christians aren't spared during this time. I don't know. We would sure like them to get some of the same treatment we get sometimes. But then again, even on this life, we're not totally spared. You know? Well, we're not totally spared as well. So we don't know whether or not Christians are affected. I actually lean toward it It might only be the 144,000 that aren't being affected. Don't know. I don't know. But does anybody see mercy in this? What? They're agonized for five months, but they're spared from dying. If this was straight judgment of God, what would have happened to them? They'd be dead. 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 Oh, they're wanting to be dead. Now, this also shows me that this is something supernatural, not something human. Because a human can kill me and, and... and here, this time, they try to kill themselves, and they can't. They try to kill themselves, and they can't. So th- I wouldn't try to make this anything human. Don't say, well, this could be helicopters or, or, you know, blackhawks or whatever. Folks, I think it's just demonic scorpions that have come out on the earth. All right? Now, we're going to look at some things, and in, in Joel, just a little bit, after we get a little further, that will hopefully help us see some things more clearly as well. Go ahead, Rita. The abyss is hell. Or actually, yeah, it's the pit. It's, it's the place where, where is bound all the demonic forces. You remember, Satan's been thrown into the abyss for a period as well during the tribulation. I'm sorry, during the millennium. But then he's taken out of the abyss and thrown into the lake of fire. So it's not ultimate, final, what we call Gehenna, the lake of fire. It's a place of torment. And it's a place where angels are kept in torment. And is this like Now, when you go to the Luke 16 passage is what you're talking about. Lazarus and the rich man. The Bible says that the rich man was buried and he awoke in Hades, is the word. He was in Hades. And uh, and Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom. Now, prior to the cross... Um, there are those who, who, who say that uh, there's a place called Sheol, or the grave, or Hades. There are those who believe that Hades had two compartments. One called paradise, one called Hades, uh, or the place of torment. Uh, the rich man went to the place of torment. The uh, Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom or the place of paradise. Uh, I struggle with that a little bit, to be honest with you, because I do know that prior to the cross, Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and so, and they talked with him and Abraham had seen his day and all this kind of stuff how it all works I don't know but there's definitely a place for those who are the righteous who go to be with God and a place of torment for those who aren't righteous and don't go to be with God the Bible says and we'll get to that in Revelation 20 and we'll look at it in a lot more detail then that at that time of the great white throne judgment those who are in Hades are going to come up out of Hades stand before God for the great white throne judgment and then they're thrown into the lake of fire which is a separate place Actually, there's three words that we have in the the New Testament that are translated hell. The three Greek words that are translated hell. One is called Tartarus in the Greek, and it's only used one time. It's in the book of Jude, and it talks about the angels who left their first position and were put in chains of judgment until the time of the final judgment. And so there were angels that left their position back at that time of Genesis chapter 6 who were put into a place of confinement, that's the only time where you see that one used. It could be translated hell in some people's Bibles. Then we see the word Hades, and it's used a lot. And uh, um, that one is a place of fiery torment for anyone who is, dies apart from Christ. Then we also see Gehenna, which is the, the lake of fire, which is the final resting place of all the unrighteous at the very, very end. Uh, and so I don't think anybody's in the lake of fire just yet. They're in a fiery place of torment. Hades is described as a place of fiery torment. Remember Lazarus says, "You know, send Lazarus to go dip his finger in water and cool my tongues. I'm in agony in this flame. So when people die now, they go to a place of fiery torment. The Bible describes it as Hades. But ultimately, they're going to come out of there, stand before God, receive their final judgment according to what they've done. Then they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And uh, I'll leave it at that because we'll go into that in a little bit more detail when we get to Revelation chapter 20. So this abyss, I believe, is a place of where the demons are being held. Some of them are being held, okay? And so uh, we know later on Satan's going to be put into there. So this is a demon, demonic attack. But we also see the mercy in this because God is still giving an opportunity for people to repent. If it was final judgment, they'd be dead, as we said. So um, it's mercy. All right, let's move on. Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 13 through 21, and we're going to look at the sixth angel sounding his, and then we're going to get to a passage in Joel that hopefully will help us a lot. Alright, it says, The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I can't go any further without stopping here. Look closely at what we just read. These four angels are bound at the great river Euphrates, alright, they're, they're being chained there. And they're going to be released, and they know when they're going to be released. It's a certain day, it's a certain hour, it's a certain time, it's a certain year. And why are they going to be released? To kill a third of mankind. Now, if they have been waiting for that moment, forever how long, don't you think they're going to do a good job? They are going to be ready to be released and to go do what it is that they've been been released to do. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the word work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping the demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts and their sexual immorality or their thefts. So we've just had these locusts go who also look like horses and they have a sting like scorpions and for five months they sting everybody on the earth except for the 144,000. And then after that, the sixth angel blows his trumpet, and these angels are released to go kill a third of mankind, and the army that's with them is 200 million. Now, here's again where you'll find, as you study on this, people differing on who the 200 million are. There are those who believe this is China, and the army of 200 million because China is over to the east, and China has 200 million supposedly in their army. We don't know if those figures are actually accurate, but that's what we hear. But actually, to be honest with you, it, it doesn't look like that either because these, these, these beasts, if you will, or these, these things, the horses and riders, and the, the horses don't look like anything we could put it to, and their tails move around and have heads on them and inflict with it. And here's another thing if you actually did the math, an army of 200 million actual humans wouldn't fit in Israel, it wouldn't fit. So there's a real good chance this is, these are demons too. And actually, there are those who used to believe they were China who now think these could just be demons. Tim LaHaye being one. As actually, we talked to him when he was here for the conference and we wrestled over this passage together and he believes that, he believes now that they're demons. Again, we don't know. This is prophetic writing. Not for us to say, I know it, I've got it all figured out, it's going to be this and then this and this. The stuff is literal and understood, we'll take it. The stuff that we don't, we're going to to say, this looks like an army of 200 million demons, if you will, or something. Exactly. And you just went, Allison, right in. Go to Joel with me. Let's go to Joel chapter 1. Now, I want to. those of you that don't quite know where Joel is, I'll give you time to find it because I want you to see this. We're going to see, written here in Joel chapter 1 through Joel chapter 2, a lot of the trumpets that we've just been looking at, a lot of them described. Alright? And then I'm going to give you a... A tough study question, like I did back when we were wrestling with, is this the sixth seal or is this Matthew twenty-four? Remember when we did that? I'm going to give you a tough, tough quiz like that in this passage. So, the Book of Joel. We're going to start in chapter one. Joel's between Hosea and Amos. Ron says page eleven ninety. If you have the same Bible as him. Alright. Let me know when you're there because I really want you to be able to see this. Again, I want you to understand I want you to understand that Revelation of the I forget the exact numbers. I used to remember the exact numbers. There's three hundred and something verses in Revelation. Two hundred and something of them are written other places in the Bible. Revelation was not added on at the end as a book. See, people try to read it by itself and understand it. You will only fully understand or more fully understand Revelation if you compare it with the rest of Scripture. And you're about to see here in Joel a lot of what we just read about being described here 800 years before Jesus was even born. Okay? Here we go. Starting in Revelation, I'm sorry, Joel chapter 1 verse 15. Uh, alas for that day. Some of your Bibles say back in verse 13, a call to repentance. That's what this is. Alas for that day for the Lord the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down. For the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the open pastures. Then flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and the fire has devoured open pastures. What does that sound like? First couple of trumpets, doesn't it? Alright, now we're going to see in chapter 2 an army of what? Army of locusts. That sounds familiar. Alright. but when I'm to do is I'm going to read this to you, verses 1-11, through but I want you to be looking at it and tell me what in chapter 2 shows us, though, that this is actually, this army of locusts is closer to the 6th trumpet than the 5th trumpet, and tell me why, alright? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill... Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor will ever be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them they have the appearance of horses they gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots they leap over the mountaintops like crackling fire consuming stubble like a mighty army drawn up for battle at the sign of them nations are in anguish every face turns pale they charge like warriors they scale walls like soldiers they all march in line not swerving from their course they do not jostle each other each marches straight ahead they plunge through defenses without breaking ranks they rush Upon the city, they run along the wall. They climb into the houses. They, like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of His army. His force forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey His command. The Lord of the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now there's a clue in here that I believe shows us that this is closer to the sixth trumpet than the fifth trumpet. Has anybody caught it? Go ahead. The large, mighty army. Large, and mighty army. Close. Never been anything like. Have they, well, the the scorpions. I'm sorry. The locusts in, in, that have the sting of scorpions have the appearance of horses. Nicole got it. What were the the locusts that came, that had the tails that sting like scorpions, what were they told? Do not harm what? Do not harm the land, only people. These do what? They devour the land. So I think what we're looking at here is probably closer to the sixth trumpet than the fifth. But it sure does look a lot like the fifth one too, doesn't it? There's a lot of similarities. And I think, like Allison said, I don't think we can give this any kind of human description. I think this is something that has not been seen before. Uh, even if it was a human army, people could fight against them and could make them break ranks. You can't make these, these individuals or whatever they are break ranks. They just march straight ahead. They just keep right on going. And you can't stop them. And you know what, Jim, they say they charge like lawyers. They steal more Like. like. Exactly. They're not, They're not saying they are. They're saying that's the closest thing we can describe it to. Right. right. Ron, go ahead. A couple First, mm-hmm. What's the relationship that you see between the four angels and the army of 200 million? The, all I know is, is these four angels have been released to go kill a third of mankind. How they go about it might be this army of 200 million, whatever it is. And they could be leading it. Here it even says the Lord thunders at the head of his army. Now, people say, wait a minute, God's. Well, folks, let's be honest. Nothing happens outside of God's control as it is. You know, you'll read in the Old Testament that God caused an evil spirit to come upon Saul or these types of things. The Bible is very, very clear that God does not tempt anyone. He does not do evil. Yet, at the same time, because of the fact that God is ultimately sovereign, anything happens has passed through His approval. So, did Satan do this or did God do it? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess all I can say is I've already started with that. COVID. Others who did not get killed, none See? We're going to. we're gonna, a wasted effort? Well, it was- wasn't wasted effort, and that's, indeed, that's a good point. But we're going to actually deal with that. He, well, if you couldn't hear what he said, and that's how we're going to wrap up in the time we have left, he said he's startled by the fact that after all this, no one repented. He said it would appear like wasted effort. What is God trying to accomplish? He's trying to have people respond. Yet at the same time, what is His ultimate purpose? That He would receive glory, not only on the earth, but where? In the heavenly realms. God is showing not just humans, but also the angels and the demons, if you will, His glory. And that's why we have to have an understanding of the fact that we're not the only stage there is. Yes, Matthew 5 says, do your good deeds before men so they'll glorify your Father in heaven. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 said that the church, it was through the church God desired to have His manifold wisdom, His eternal qualities be made known to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms. We're on a bigger stage. The Bible talks in Peter about how the angels long to look into this relationship that God has with us. God is showing His ultimate glory and His goodness. He's showing His justice. He's showing His, 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 His rightness, if you will, and His wrath on mankind. Because even after all that, they still wouldn't respond. Now folks, I, I, you have to understand, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign and that no one can be saved and the Spirit of God draws them. But you can't take that truth to the end and say that man doesn't have a choice. There are those who will take that truth of doctrine of God's sovereignty and that it's Him who gives us the ability to have faith. The Bible's very clear that it says that. And they try to make it say that ultimately God chooses who will be saved and who won't be. And, and, and God has the right to do it that way. Yes, you know what? He does have the right to do it that way. Because Romans chapter 9 talks about that in verse 22. He said, what if God chose to do it this way? What if God chose to make some for His glory and send them into heaven? What if God chose to make some for hell and send them to hell? He has every right to do that, Paul said, but the Bible never does say that God does it that way, it's just simply that needs to be the attitude we have, He's God, I'm not, He made the world, I didn't, He created me, I didn't, He gets to call the shots, but if you take that strong truth to the other end and say that ultimately man really doesn't have a choice... That does not line up with Scripture and I'll take you to Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus stands over Jerusalem and he said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only led me, I would have long I longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and said, "I wanted to, but you said no. And then Jesus also said that it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. Why? Because they had more light received. Jesus Himself walked on their their streets. He performed miracles there. He said when the time of judgment comes, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to have it easier than you because you had more opportunity, you had more light. To whom much has been given, much is required. Folks, the Bible is very clear that not only is God sovereign and He can do it however He wishes and He's the one who gives us faith, man has a responsibility and man has to say yes or no. And ultimately, don't try to make them fit. They do somehow because of who God is, but they're both there. And so He's now showing His rightness in judging mankind because mankind had opportunity and mankind said no. Think about Matthew 22 and the great parable of the wedding banquet. He sent His servants out to invite them to the wedding banquet and they said no. He sent them out again. They said no. And He burned their city. Talking about the Jews. Why did He burn their city if they didn't have a choice? They did have a choice. And they said no. And so folks... Here we see, I believe, God showing His rightness and bringing His judgment. And the world, not only the world, but the, the spiritual realm can see, okay God, you're right, they're, they're worthy of this. Send your judgment. Now we're going to wrap up with Romans chapter 1. Let me show you this. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Look what it says. It says, The wrath of God is already being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Here he says, if you've never even heard the message of salvation or who God is, He's already revealed His divine nature, His eternal nature, His His, His invisible qualities, His eternal power, all that's been clearly seen through creation. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, But their thinking became futile and their foolish arts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, look closely, God gave them over... In their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things, rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned the natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Here we see, here it says right now, there comes a point where God gives people over. You want to go there? He calls. He woos. He says no. He sends missionaries. He sends His Spirit. He uses lots of different ways to get our attention. And He says there comes a point where if you want to continue to say no to Him, He'll give you over. And the Bible says in John 6.44, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws them. Folks, if He stops drawing you, you can't be saved. I believe the Bible says in John 6, verse 45, though, that everybody's drawn it. As it says in the prophets, they all will be taught by God. Whoever listens comes to Him. Now, those of you who are parents know the difference between your kids hearing you and listening. I believe everybody hears, not everybody listens. Well, let me wrap it up with one last passage. It's It's in John chapter 12. See a picture of this. All right, verse 37. It says, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was also to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet Lord, who's believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because Isaiah says elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now look closely. They would not believe, and because they would not believe, God gave them over. He shut the door, and He blinded their eyes so they could not believe. Did He blind their eyes first? No. They had opportunity, because if there was no opportunity for the Jews to believe, why did He go grab 12 Jews and make them His apostles? He had, they had opportunity. He preached to them. He called out. He stood in their streets. He walked among them. The nation of Israel rejected Him and would not. And that's when God said, okay, now I'm shutting your eyes so you can't see. That's why he'd always say, for those who are ears to hear and eyes to see, he wasn't saying, for those are the ones of the chosen that I've already picked. He was just simply, for those who are willing to listen, those who are willing to see, those who are responding to the Spirit of God, this is going to make sense to you. For those of you that aren't, it won't. So, with what you talked about, Ron, it's a wonderful way for how we wrap up. The sad thing is, it appears at this point in the tribulation period, the ability for people to respond is drawing to a close. They're having plenty of opportunity. He's been very merciful in the fact that it's only been a third. And it's only been a third. And it's only been a third. And, and as bad as it's being unable to die for five months is, He's given you opportunity to respond. But at this point, they say no. They say no. As you will see as we continue on in our study of Revelation in a few weeks, the nation of Israel at this time is running for their lives. And they're hiding out in the desert and being protected by God. And all the stuff that we've been studying is all of a sudden going to start to make a whole lot more sense as we start looking at the beast coming on the scene and the Antichrist on the scene and all these different things starting to happen. The false prophet's going to come on the scene and the two witnesses and all this stuff. Stick with us. Tonight was a tough night of just looking at the fact that there's going to be some bad stuff coming on the earth. Some stuff we don't fully understand. Thank God we won't be here. But at the same time, stick with us because in the next few weeks, it's going to start really coming together. All the study in Daniel and all the other places are going to make you go, Aha! Now I get it! So hang on, hang on a little longer. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank You for this chance to open Your Word. And I thank You for the fact that as we looked at at the beginning, if there's something You want us to understand, if we seek You, You'll give us the insight. If there are things we don't, may we be okay with the fact that we don't. But Lord, at the same time, may we be faithful to read this book and take it to heart, because You promised us in chapter 1, blessed are those who read it and take it to heart. And so Lord, we want Your blessing. We want that. Lord, we all at the same time know that the time is drawing close for us uh, to go with You. But Lord, if You want to tarry, it's because there's others that need to know You. May our belief in what we read here, really going to be coming to pass, may our belief in that spur us on to be led of You to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You that You're still drawing people. The age of grace has not come to an end. And so Lord, we just pray that You will continue to send out Your Spirit into this world through many different ways, through people, and may You even use us, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.